This is the Key 5 Podcast, for speakers, by speakers, with your hosts, Robert Ferguson and Sarah Jo Crawford, where you'll get quick, relevant tips to build your speaking business. Welcome to the Key 5 Podcast. I'm Robert. And I'm Sarah Jo. And today, Sarah Jo, we're going to talk about lead generation. I think something important to all speakers. I'm so excited. I'm the whole po- all of these podcasts from here on out. I'm going to try not to just talk about marketing. So today is my chance to really get it all out. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, as a, a friend of mine in this business said, you know, it, whether you're a professional speaker full time or you whatever you want to do as a percentage of your time being a speaker, 95% of your effort and work and time is on finding the opportunities. 5% is actually preparing and getting on stage. Can I put that on a billboard? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) I think that applies to a lot of things in life. But this is the stuff that really matters. If somebody really wants to get their message out there and stand on stage and to proclaim their message, first they got to get on stage. Absolutely. And and it's everything it's everything you do when you step off stage that ensures you get back on because you get so many people jazzed about you and they're clapping and you you know right after the clap you've lost influence and after the signing you've lost after all the signs and the questions you've lost influence and just as things go you lose and people forget and that bums me out so these are all the things you need to be doing to ensure that you get to step back up and be on the lights and get the microphone couldn't agree more. In fact, I love where you started. It's when you get off stage. We could even start there. Let's assume you get on stage. You you asked your friend, hey, can you get me speaking for free? It starts <laughs> even with the first group you're going to talk to mm-hmm. of people who heard you uh, and collecting those leads, being able to connect with those people. But for many people, it's like, oh, I, there's a, I want to get into whether it's you know one industry or another industry. Where do I start? What, what would you recommend? Yeah. So the minute you step off stage you're going to have people coming up and talking to you, ideally. And I'm assuming everyone listening, they're, they're pretty familiar with people coming up to them being like, hey, I love that. And a lot of them either ask directly for more or they kind of hint at, I've got more questions and you know, you can get kind of stuck in the spiral of just answering a ton and ton of questions. But either during your speech or after your speech, offering something they can download or um, anytime you can offer them some kind of free thing. Not everybody has a book to offer. Um, and then the next thing being, as people are coming up to you and asking for your business card, ask for theirs, and then you email them. I think that sounds pretty basic, but you know, going after people versus waiting, is there's a huge difference. So you're really talking about the follow-up afterwards. If you've got yeah. your card, being able to connect, hey, it was great to meet you. Actually, just of interest, I had somebody recently who reached out on LinkedIn to connect with me saying, hey, I'm, I saw you at this conference, blah, blah, blah. I wasn't at that conference. But someone with the same name my name was at this conference. They reached out to me and they looked at my profile and they thought, hey, this looks like it was probably you. So they were doing their follow-up. Well, we connected anyway and we started a dialogue. (laughs) (laughs) So you never know where it works. Yeah. And I mean, you'll have a select few of people who will do all that extra work. But for those people that are a little bit lazy, maybe a little bit, they don't want to spend the time on it. You want to make sure you make it as easy as possible for them to connect with you online. And if you can get their information, that's even better. Absolutely. So let's talk about, let's say you know you want to speak to um, you know, the construction industry and there's, there's events and associations and activities. 
you need to be able to find who are the meeting planners, right? And and today with the internet, you should be able to find who are the meeting planners for those events and to be able to connect with them on LinkedIn and Twitter seems like an obvious thing to do. And yet few do that. Oh, the possibilities of LinkedIn and Twitter are just bonkers, especially if you're looking for someone specifically if you can find them on LinkedIn or Twitter and then find the one where they have the fewest followers, you're more likely to get a response. And I think that sounds a little counterintuitive, but I've found people on LinkedIn who have bonkers followings that I've wanted to reach out to. And then I went and found them on Twitter and they don't get as much engagement there. So my message isn't getting lost. Mm. That's an interesting strategy. I like that. The other thing that I find many people make a mistake, in myself included, in other words, I've done this, is I, I connected with somebody on LinkedIn or Twitter and I tried immediately to start a dialogue as opposed to uh, w- reading what they're writing and complimenting, liking, saying, hey, I loved your comments and starting to build a relationship. I just want to get straight to the sale and it just doesn't happen. <laughs> it doesn't. And I mean, you just it just comes down to being like a nice human, just a normal human makes such a big difference in the way you interact with people, especially if you're going in for an ask. I'm sure if you're offering someone something, you could probably get away with just reaching out immediately. But when it comes to the asking, it's so important to start with just liking their tweets or adding in to the value of a conversation they're having, making sure. I mean, you can even set up introductions being like, hey, I think you might really like this person. It can be a really great way to initiate that conversation. It is. And I think the key thing that not just speakers, anyone who's using social media to connect with others, it's about getting your name on, in front of them on a regular basis so that you're they're familiar with, hey, I've seen this person before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Actually, so it's funny you bring that up. Just yesterday, I had an event planner reach out because he had a gap in his speaker schedule for a conference in October, and it was under the uh, topic video marketing. So my theory is he was looking at hashtags video marketing because we'd never connected before. We hadn't really talked before. And he found my YouTube video or my LinkedIn videos that I do twice a week. And he was like, hey, do you speak on video marketing often? And I've never actually spoken on it before, but I was like, absolutely love it. And he was like, cool. Do you want to, I'm like desperate to fill this gap and you seem really great. Would you want to do it? And I was like, whoa, you know, he, he found me because I was there. Um, but also, I'm sure he looked into my social credibility. You know, this wasn't some girl doing a one-off video. There were lots of people engaging. We probably had some mutual connections. So all that credibility was there. Um, and all I had to do was make sure I was available. Well, well done to you. And I think that's the key thing you're really sharing, Sarah, Joe, is that we have to create content and be out there. People will do the research when they say, hey, you look like an expert in this area. Hey, can you come and speak for us? But you have to demonstrate that expertise. Often speakers have said to me, well, if they just heard me, (laughs) well, before they hear you, they've got to see you, read you, know you, see other comments and know that they're going to this, you know, you're going to be great. And clearly this person already discovered that about you. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm just adorable, Robert. What am I going to (laughs) do? Well, I know that. (laughs) I know, I need to get them to know. Um, So another thing actually that I've done is when I have a a client or somebody I've worked with who um, I've really enjoyed and I know will speak highly of me, and this can't just be anybody, you just can't make a connection and start poaching their connections. But if you have somebody who you know has enjoyed their experience with you, I look up event planners connected to this person. So whenever they go to 
you know, I send them a connection request. I said, hey, you're a friend of XYZ. Um, I just wanted to connect. I feel like we'd have a lot in common. That has opened so many doors because they're like, oh, well, I really trust him. And if they're not sure if I'm being honest, they'll actually reach out to said person. And it's opened up so many doors because it's a more targeted search on social instead of just being like event planners in the United States. Interesting. I like that approach. And I just want to stress it. There are people who will connect with highly connected people and then start poaching and sifting through their connections. And that's not nice. Right. Yeah, it's almost like social media etiquette. We want to teach. <laughs> so, Sarah Jo, one of the key things, though, that you're a speaker, you, you most likely have a website or you should. What should speakers do that... You know, people connect on LinkedIn, they're going to go check you out. And, you know, you've probably been there. You've landed on someone's website and you're like, oh, my gosh, this person needs help. I'm not going to hire them. What should oh. they do? Oh, my goodness. That's before I even get into what they should do. I have had this conversation so many times. If you want to make ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 on a speech, because who doesn't, your website needs to look like you were a $10,000, $20,000 speaker. And a lot of that comes from production quality, and it looks like you've invested in yourself. So if your website isn't hasn't been updated in at least in the past two years, you're going to look ridiculous. If there's not a great photo of you speaking, you're going to look ridiculous. If there's not a good video, and I mean, I could go, you know, Robert, I could talk forever about websites. It's something I love doing and building is websites for public speakers. But like the most important thing is the production quality. You would not get on stage with a speech from two years ago. You would not get on stage with the exact same clothes you wore two years ago. So why would you let your website look like that? Well, what you're really talking about is keeping current because there are speakers who have a website that's been up for 10 years and haven't oh, done anything when with I it. see that, it makes me nauseous. And they have such good content too. They have like great content. The number of speakers who have reached out to them and been like, your website is not doing you justice. You have a TED Talk and you have books and you have blogs. And yet when I get on your website, I immediately think this person is out of touch. Interesting. So is it just that, you know, designs change or what is it that, you know, part of staying current with your website is to, why is it that people need to keep investing in their website and their presence online? Sure. At bare minimum, the content and your credibility, because you're going to continue to grow and get new clients that are more recognizable. So ensuring that stuff's up to date um, at the base level, if you're listing specific dates of where you're speaking next, and those dates are from two years ago, it, that just screams, I'm out of date. But the other things that change and they take a little bit longer to change is styles of websites. And you may not notice it right away, but after two years have passed, you'll be like, oh, this website looks a little bit older. And I could go into so many details about what that would look like, but there's ways that we lay out the websites. There's, It's kind of like the trendiness. You can't help it. The trendiness is going to come into your website, even if you try to make it classic. The any so Anybody who looks at a lot of websites will be like, oh, wow, this looks, this looks out of date. And then also I've seen people who maybe their hair makes a big adjustment. I've seen this a lot in men who either have, you know, their hair's gone gray or they've transitioned to, you know, no hair. And you see all these old pictures and then you see them in real life and you're like, 
what? That is incongruent. And it's it just really throws people off when they're like, that's not what I thought you looked like. So this must be a really out of date website. Or they, they saw you speak and then they go to your website and they're like, who is this person? Is this even the same person? It just, oh, and I had another client who lost a bunch of weight and I was so excited for him. And he did. He went through and changed all of his website images um, to reflect his change in weight. That's really cool. You know, that reminds me when um, a, a number of years ago when, when I was working with a telecom company and they uh, they won the best award for customer service. But then the CEO wisely said, you know what, uh, that's not something to celebrate. We're just queen of the pigs because we all suck in the industry. And and what it struck me was sometimes like speakers will look at others and go, well, they're over here and I see my competitor and we compare ourselves to them instead of realizing Where's the benchmark across the board? Where are our websites? You know, we're being compared to what's FedEx doing? What's Walt Disney doing? And what do people have as an experience online? And if we don't keep ourselves current where the rest of the industry is, then we do look like we're being left behind. Oh, absolutely. And a big part of that is there's stuff that speakers are doing behind the scenes that you may not be seeing. So you're like, oh, well, it looks like they're not super active on social media, so I probably don't need to be super active on social media. But you have no idea that they're doing everything through direct message or they're, you know, and there's lots of cool ways you can do it. Maybe they're making separate landing pages for meeting planners. So while you think their website looks basic, maybe there's one that they're using to kind of micro-target. I mean, you really have no idea. So to make the assumption that you're on par is really dangerous. Agreed. And these days, small businesses, and many speakers are operating as a small business, they get overwhelmed thinking, well, I can't do all of this. And yet Mm -hmm. small businesses now are leveraging virtual assistants, offshore folks, and others to help them that doesn't cost a lot. It doesn't. And there's there's a lot of ways to focus on the things that'll get you the most value the quickest. So instead of starting off with, I'm going to make, you know, in my case, I was like, I'm just going to start making LinkedIn videos. It took me four or five months before I started seeing any traction from those. If you need business now, please do not start making your social media videos and spending all your time. Instead, you can start getting micro with your marketing. So a fun example is, let's say you talk about innovation. Instead of just reaching out to all kinds of event planners or say you're trying to get into the finance industry, you actually write a blog that's specific to the finance industry. So you know your message could probably go to any industry, but you connect those dots for them. And you're not writing a blog for the public, social media. You're you're writing the blog for this event planner. They don't need to know that. But to them, it looks like, oh, they really do specialize in this. Or you can make a landing page direct for that industry, or you can make a landing page just for event planners. So you can change the language of instead of you know, trying to attract an audience, you're trying to attract event planners, you can focus on the benefits of how you'll make the event planner look cool. I could go on forever, Robert, you should say you should say things now. (laughs) That's a brilliant idea that micro marketing and very targeted and focused. One of the key things that speakers need, though, when they do get somebody contacting them, I think is a speaker kit, they have to be ready for the one page. Yes, the speaker kit is so important. And I'm going to go even further. You should have a one sheet, right? So that's part of kind of the sales part. But when they've, when you've got them and you're ready to book, you better have some beautiful up-to-date photos. You better have your AV preferences. You better have all of that ready to give. Otherwise, that event planners, well, now they're kind of a pain in the butt to work with. 
So when you talk about photos, uh, Sarah Jo, what many speakers would say, well, I haven't, I, they have this mindset that they've got to be on the big stage and have all of the, they can create really nice photos, hire some local photographer. And uh, what, what do you recommend to speakers so that they create those nice photos that don't cost a lot? Yeah. So photos on stage are actually a lot easier than you'd think. You can use an iPhone nowadays for almost anything. So while you should get those, when it comes to your speaker kit, typically they're looking for a photo they can use in their marketing materials. So there's no need necessarily at that point in the phase to show you speaking in front of a big audience. If anything, that might make it difficult for them to put your face in agenda, put your face on um, a graphic. So in those instances, especially a really great headshot that's up to date that reflects your credibility. And when I say reflects your credibility, I just means I just mean it looks like you're not out of touch fashion wise. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. The before we head off to hearing from an expert, one thing that I think many speakers need to invest in though is thinking about how are they going to capture and manage these leads. I guess we could call mm-hmm. it a, a CRM system, customer mm-hmm. relationship management. And there are lots of tools. You don't have to spend a lot of money, but they need something mm-hmm. to be able to track and know how am I going to fo- know to follow up with this uh, meeting planner that that maybe six months or eight months before they actually need me to talk to them preparing for that? Do you have any recommendations that you make to your clients? Yeah, so I use HubSpot. It's free. And then to take it one step further, personally, as a speaker and a marketer and a creative, keeping tabs on those things and spe- like specifically is agonizing for me. It's just absolutely agonizing. So if it's not super easy, I'm not going to do it. And then I get lost. And then I've had people reach out to emails and be like, hey, you know, we talked a few months ago. And I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, I don't remember who this is or where they're from. And I have to have that awkward conversation. Um, It's very similar to someone walking up being like, hey, how are you? And you're like, hey, you... Um, so what I've started doing, um, I like taking handwritten notes when I talk to people over the phone. I actually, as I'm taking the notes, I star things that I think are important. I make sure I put their name on it. And then I either take a picture or hand it directly to my personal assistant. They don't do much for me, but you know, it's pretty cheap this way. I send them this photo and they go in and enter all of that into HubSpot. That's a smart move. It's so much easier that way. I just will not do it on my own. I tried doing it. All these notes ended up piling up on my desk. I got really overwhelmed. Or I forward the email to my personal assistant and I say, hey, can you get them in here? Maybe I put some notes that I think are going to be relevant in the future. So like, hey, I need to follow up with them in a month. Or can you make sure you mark them as like, I met them at this conference. So passing that off to somebody else that's actually one of the least expensive things you can have a personal assistant do because it takes no time, but it requires that you have the uh, drive to do these organizational administrative things. Absolutely. Well, clearly it's about having a system in place mm-hmm. and, and, and your process is down so you know what to do and where without even having to think about it. Who do you engage? And uh, if, if someone's looking for some help in setting up their system and processes I'm going to be the advocate here on on this podcast, Sarah Jo. People should call you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. If you're lazy and you want to continue to focus on doing the things you're good at, you should reach out to me. I am the queen of getting the things done without having to do the boring stuff. So I've got all kinds of weird little hacks that make things move a lot faster. And because, you know, we're all trying to save a little save a buck or two, I typically try to keep them free. Well, that's really good. I'm being the advocate for you here, but I think it's, uh, we, let's also take the opportunity now to hear what uh, others who are experts in this area uh, have to say about developing processes for a lead generation. What do you think? 
I think we absolutely should, because while it's fun to give my own examples and your own examples, I want to hear what others are up to. Great. Let's do it. Our guest today is Graham Newell, a researcher, speaker, and author who guides businesses in finding and implementing their authentic business purpose. He's also co-author of the book, Red Goldfish. Welcome, Graham. Great to be here, Robert. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, you know, I have a, you know a lot about speaker marketing. I've actually heard you do a presentation on this, and I'm excited to have you share some of your expert knowledge. But but let me start with sort of the, the basic thing. You know, you, you see a lot of speakers, and you have a sense of, you know, every speaker's got a great message, and they they, they wait for somebody to make the, to, to call them. What do you see as the greatest challenge that speakers make in their marketing of their speaking business? Well, Robert, it's a great question. It is one of the hardest things that speakers have to do is to get out there and sell themselves. Getting up on stage is something that we you know, just do naturally. But that ability for us to be a good, diligent salesperson is one of the hardest things that, that we can do. And I think this is actually the biggest challenge. So many people have this idea that I'm just going to show up, I'm going to get on stage, the world is going to love me, and the phone is just going to ring off, off its hook. What a lot of people don't realize realize is that about 95% of the speaking business is selling. And if you don't do that, you won't be able to make a living at it. So many people get disillusioned because they come into the speaking business with the idea that they'll be able to make a good, healthy living at it and end up leaving so quickly because they don't realize the incredible amount of salesmanship that it takes. So I always in, encourage folks whenever they get into the speaking business to, to say, do you like sales? And, and, and if you don't, it's probably not a good business for you. So it's really about designing a system that will quickly and easily make contact with as many people as possible and to do that with an absolute minimum of effort. Well, well said. And I've heard you say that before, but I'm glad that our listeners can hear that, Graham. Is it something about generating leads or sales that is a barrier? Is it is it just sales uh, speakers in general? Or what do you think is the barrier that generating quality leads is so hard? These poor meeting reps just get absolutely inundated week after week with people calling them, reaching out to them all the time, and they've built this incredible wall around themselves to make sure that they don't lose their entire day to everyone calling them. So what it's got to be about is very specific communication that is done at the right time to the right people. So my philosophy is is one that you've got to follow the rifle shot. So many folks just sort of throw it out there and hope the world will love it. Well, I'm a big believer in find the event, find the right meeting planner, find the exact right people on the board and stalk them. (laughs) This is really going to give you an amazing amount of focus where you won't be just sending it out into the world, but you're going to be able to have those right people that can actually pay you. There's a big difference between having fans and having people who are clients who will pay you. And far too many speakers have a tremendous number of fans, but they don't have people that will fill up their bank account. That's the the key point. Well said. I really like that distinction of fans versus clients. Now, you you actually have a system for generating leads. Can you briefly explain your system? 
sure. I'm a very big fan of customer relationship management software. And if you don't have one, I think this is one of the most important things that any speaker can do. Because what it does is it really helps focus down who those people are. You can manage hundreds, you know, hell, thousands of people if, if you want with a, a CRM. But it's going to keep you focused on your tasks, your phone calls, your letters. It's going to help you send out, you know, great numbers of incredible letters that are going to be focused at the right time to the right person. It's going to help you with your timing. So my system really starts with, first of all, going out and finding all of the events. There's websites that that do this, but I also subscribe to several association databases, and I just go out and find every single event that I want to speak at, not only for this year, but maybe it's for next year. Typically, what I find is that the sales curve is about 15 months. Mm. You start with about 15 months out, and you put that person into your CRM. I usually then friend them on LinkedIn and send them a little hi and say thanks, you know, thanks for for friending me. I I might send them an article or two over the course of the next, you know, couple of months, not ask for anything. Then after that first meeting is over, so let's say you're a year out now and they've they've had a chance to have their their meeting and they've gone away and have detoxed and are now back in the office about 10 months before, now is the time when you want to start reaching out and with specific custom materials. The key here is to show them that you're an amazing industry insider. And that's about finding that specific person that maybe you could have as a referral or to be able to talk about other events that you've spoken at. But it's really about over the course of months and months and months, simply finding those leads and then just following up with them over and over again. The thing, the important, the important thing to really realize here is that it's a numbers game. The more people you get in front of, the more letters that, that you send, the more notes, the more phone calls that, that you make, the more likely you are, are to speak. And realize that the person probably won't pay any attention to you until you've talked to them at least three times. So many of us have a tendency to kind of send a note, oh, they didn't write back and I, and I, and I offended them and, I, and I'm not going to write back again because our ego gets hurt. What you've got to do is realize they probably aren't even going to know you're there until you, you send them three or four things. That's the important thing. Stick with it and have a system that you work every single day. Well, thank you for outlining that. And I think that makes a lot of sense, Graham. I know you're a big fan of LinkedIn and you use the word stalking. It, it, does it ever seem a little odd, I guess? Or what's your approach on LinkedIn if they don't respond to you? You know, probably stalking is a bad word, but, um, you know, what, what does seem, seem to work is to show up and be helpful. So what I do a lot of times is try not to be creepy and, and to really try to provide them with some value. I pass along good articles. I'm, you know, I'm a kind of a video guy. I pass along neat stuff. If, if I see a meeting that they had or, or uh, you know, some information about the topic of what that year's, you know, um, what that year's topic is for the conference, I'll say, here's a great article that, that I found. Hope you enjoy it. And then I just sort of step away. I try to make friends as much as I can on on LinkedIn. It's important that you be somebody that is there to be a friend and who shares content as opposed to somebody who is creepy and trying to do sales all the time. Okay. So what about the other platforms? Do you, from a speaker standpoint, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and others, do you um, think there's a place for that for speakers? You know, I I made a gigantic push at being a social media genie probably about three or four years ago. And man, I put enormous amounts of energy and effort in, into it. You know, what, what was good is I, I managed to get a, a lot of people that, 
that uh, that became fans, but these weren't people that would hire me. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it kind of stroked my vanity, which which was really <laughs> nice, but I, I didn't actually get much business about it. No question that, you know, occasionally I'll, I'll get something. So my, my belief is that you you close business using your your CRM. You close business with emails, phone calls, and direct communication. Now, is it important to have a good Facebook, Twitter, Instagram profile? Absolutely. When they look you up, you need to look like a big deal. You absolutely do. But I'm not a big believer that you'll be able to do you know reaching out to those people who are the real you know hirers if you simply go on on social. It's much more important that you reach out to them directly. Okay. That, that's wonderful. I think that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, is there, let me ask you this. Is there a, a successful speaker that you've seen that they're, maybe they're doing something unique in their marketing that you admire? I got to tell you, there's a couple of guys that, that, that come to, to mind here. One of my, my favorite guys is Chuck Gallagher. Uh, Chuck is out of Greenville, South Carolina, and has this amazing system that he's built that, that is about email. And he does a tremendous amount of offshoring where he just has this steady flow of communication with the people that he's going after over and over again. He works his system, sits, gets in the chair every day, two or three hours of just sending an email, sending it along. And, you know, it, that sales curve is so long that sometimes we don't get a response back and we think it's not working. But I think he's done a, a tremendous job of it as well. Another favorite guy of mine that does a great job with uh, with this is Kevin McCarthy. He's built, and you might want to look at him, a great speaker out of, out of Portland, Oregon, a neighbor here. He's built a, an incredible online training system that he helps speakers do emails. Kevin's really had a great job of getting those emails out, getting them to the right people, and has built a really amazing system. Okay. So let me ask you this question. I, uh, some of our listeners are new speakers, but also many of them have been speaking for a while. And some of that I've talked to, their business has dipped and they almost have to reinvent themselves. So for those who've been speaking a while and, and maybe their opportunities have trailed off, do, do, you, um, do they need to do something different to relaunch their marketing efforts or, or are they just following the same principles that a new speaker needs to follow? You know, if you've been speaking for a while, what's neat is is you've got already that collateral in the bank that says, "Hey, you know, I'm I'm a speaker. I'm somebody that you can trust to to go to that event." So, really focusing on that is one of the most important things that you can do. What I think a lot of people don't realize, particularly when you look at his associations uh, speaking, is that there's a, such a tremendous turnover. You know, people just go in and out of these associations all the time, and we think we've made that push and and that they said no when in fact there's a brand new person there, you know, sometimes every year. So it's really important as boards change, as the people who decide change, as, you know, personnel go in and out to refresh those contacts. So find the, those people that you spoke for before, those other organizations, and really plumb those. The other thing is look to your competitors as well. This is great for both beginners and for people who are also veterans. Who is like you who has spoken? What's neat is if you go to their website, you Usually they're there bragging away about, I spoke at this conference. Well, that's a conference you could speak at. So it's important to identify all your competitors and then go find all the events that they spoke at. And, you know, after they've done it, you should be able to become the next year. And and hopefully you'll be able to to surf off the people that are already there. What I like to do as well is reach out to other speakers and say, hey, could we have an informal trade agreement? If you know you're not speaking at at this conference, you know, because you spoke there and they're not going to have you back for a few years, uh, you know, can I get your contact? 
contact him, information. I'll give you mine if you give me yours. So many of the great speaking gigs that you'll get will be on references from other speakers and spending time, you know, seeking those people out and helping them to get gigs themselves will pay off handsomely. Brilliant advice, Graham. Brilliant. So as we wrap up here, is there one piece of advice that you could recommend to our speakers to improve their marketing? What would you say? I would say, number one, it's get a system, and that's going to be based on a customer relationship management piece of software. You want to look for software such as Daylight. The one that I use uh, is, actually is Daylight, but there's one. There's a more advanced one called Salesforce that a lot of people use. There's tons of these all over the place. Don't rely on results to, to motivate you. What you've got to do is you've got to sit down each day and say, I'm going to put in three hours. Every morning is what I'm going to do. I'm going to work these sales efforts, and if nobody says anything to me, if I hear nothing back, I'm not going to let that discourage me. It's about hours in the chair. It's about number of contacts made. It's about the opportunity and phone calls that you generated. Those should be your measure for success. Realize that this takes a long time to get going. Settle into that 15-month sales curve that's going to happen. You'll get amazing results from it if you start it and work it day to day. But it is a sales job. Redefine yourself, not as a speaker, but as a great salesman, and the speaking will come. That's great advice for all professional speakers. Join us on our next Key 5 podcast, where we'll be talking about content development. To listen to all of our podcasts and learn more about our guests, go to key5podcast.com. That's K-E-Y and the number five podcast.com. So go to key5podcast.com today. Thanks for listening. This podcast was produced by your local studio. For more, go to key5podcast.com. Hey, if you're still listening, thanks for sticking around. I have one quick request. If you like the show, it would mean a whole lot if you left a review over in the iTunes store. This actually helps others find the show. So thanks in advance, and I'll talk to you next time.